4: This is Alan Smith's Ask the Trucker Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world, with your hosts, Alan and Donna Smith, focusing on driver health, careers, regulations, and the important issues facing the industry. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Ask the Trucker Live begins right now.
1: Saturday, April 27, 2019, and I'm here with my co host, of course, Donna Smith. And we have uh, probably a little controversial show tonight. The name of the show is the Stop Underwrites Act requiring front, side, and rear underguards on large trucks. The show is uh, going to be a discussion on the bipartisan bill, the Stop Underwrites Act, which is both in the House and in the Senate. And that bill would require the installation of rear, side, and front underride guards on tractor trailers and rear and side underride guards on single unit trucks to improve passenger motor vehicle safety. Now, most drivers, along with the ATA and OIDA, are against these bills, uh, making you know many claims why they they don't support the bill. And among these claims are that the cost would outweigh the safety benefits and I'll be quoting from uh, the letters written by the ATA and OIDA to, to seniors and so to uh, senators and so forth. And uh, we'll get the facts from our guest this evening because, quite frankly, I found some of these statements specifically from the ATA uh, just completely misleading. And, and their claims are based upon underreported underwrite crashes, and, the, and that, that's a fact. these underwrite crashes they are underreported that's a fact confirmed by the most recent March 2019 GAO report which again just came out and stated so the the GAO report stated and I quote fatalities are likely underreported due to variability in state and local data collection for example uh, police officers responding to a crash do not use a standard definition of an underride crash and state's crash report forms vary, with some not even including a field for collecting underride data. And police officers receive limited information on how to identify and record underride crashes. As a result, NHTSA may not have accurate data to support efforts to reduce traffic fatalities. So tonight I would like to address as many of these claims that we can using facts, using data with our guests. And I think it's important to mention also that written 50 years ago on March 19, 1969 in the Federal Register, volume 34, number 53, pages 23 and 24, Fifty years ago, it said, it is anticipated that the proposed standard will be amended after technical studies have been completed to extend the requirement for underride protection to the sides of large vehicles. Now, that was five decades ago and thousands of deaths ago, so this reminds me of the truck parking issue that drivers have had for over three decades now. Study after study has been done by numerous government agencies and there is still a severe lack of truck parking and it appears that everything except adding more parking has been part of the solution. And how about the so-called truck driver shortage? Everything except raising wages to meet 2019 living expenses has been thought of. So the fact is that when you have groups of people on opposing sides of an issue, and although one group believe they have valid point, unless truthful facts are included in their arguments, for me it all just becomes noise. So. Tonight, as our guests on the show, we have six people who have been researching and gathering these facts regarding the need for side, rear, and front guards on big trucks. Three of them are advocates and co authors of the bipartisan bill, the Stop Underrides Act, which was introduced in 2017 and reintroduced in March of this year. Two of our guests are engineers who designed and founded two successful side guards to prevent underride crashes. And our other guest is a CDL driver, an attorney, and an OIDA member. And I'll uh, be introducing them here shortly, and we'll get to hear these facts regarding the Stop Underwrite Act, what it is, what it will do, and most importantly, what it is based on. Personally, I believe the most important aspect of any discussion is to include facts. Numbers and data do not lie. When people make claims about a topic and just make up statements as truth without evidence, and then pass this info on to thousands of others is just wrong. That's what I call propaganda. So tonight we hope to address all or at least most of the questions and concerns people have about mandating side, front, and rear uh, underride guards. And uh, I also want to say I I understand how truckers feel that they are over-regulated. Let's not forget, I drove 37 years, 29 years over the road. I also understand how these regulations have affected their wages. I know because as many of you listening now, I've been fighting for trucker's rights now for about 12 years now. I also hear over and over again how drivers shouldn't have to pay the price for accidents which are mostly the fault of the four-wheeler. But I gotta be honest, these are the same drivers who also are on social media complaining about how other truckers are speeding through parking lots and are uh, inconsiderate of others on the road. I spent yesterday running up and down I-75, and, and I literally lost count of how many 18-wheelers I saw a couple feet away from the rear bumper of the four-wheeler in front of them. And, and what about when such, such these accidents is neither the fault of the trucker or the four-wheeler? What about weather, icy roads, you know, blinding rain. What about a, a winter whiteout in Utah? So whose fault is it then? I mean, you, you, you can't really have it both ways. And, you know, how much is a human life worth? How much is the life of your wife, your husband, your father, your mother, a relative? How much is it worth? How much is the life of a child worth? How much is the life of a child, who is a total stranger to you? How much is it worth? So, you see, as a driver, I have to step out of the one-way blinders and look at the entire picture. There's much more involved with this situation than cost to the trucking industry making billions of dollars a year off the backs of underpaid drivers. so So what do I say? I say, let's stop the blaming. People are dying. And let's have a solution. I believe the guests tonight do have that solution. And again, as the GAO has reported, uh, these crashes and fatalities and such have been uh, way underreported, we'll get into that. And we'll address with the panel some of the trucking and drivers' major concerns, such as cost, uh, trailer accessibility, weight, maintenance, and installation cost, or underrides of one size fit all. And I do wanna just real quick take one thing from i got it right here from the ATA letter uh that they wrote to um Senator Bill Nelson P- Peter DeFazio, and some others and i noticed one statement they they had in here uh let me find it here uh and i quote this is a letter from uh let's see it's written by I make sure I get everything right. Chris Spear, president and CEO of the ATA.
5: Chris Spears, wasn't it?
1: Uh, that's what I said, wasn't it?
5: Oh, okay. I couldn't yeah.
6: hear you. Chris Spear,
1: yeah. And anyway, he wrote in his letter, uh, fighting against this uh, bill, uh, he wrote, this is just one of the things, regrettably, the bill is not based on science, data, or safety benefits. Well, tonight we're going to address that with our panel, and we're going to present the science, research, and actual data that exists on this and and also what what are the conclusions of the NHTSA regarding underrides? ATA and OIDA quote them. They say the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has considered numerous options involving underride guards but has consistently concluded federal mandates would be impractical and costly, thus outweighing any perceived safety benefits and yet they say in the stop underrides act bill the National Transportation Safety Board has recommended the installation of rear side and front underride guards on tractor trailers and rear and side underride guards on single unit trucks to improve passenger motor vehicle vehicle safety so stay with us a lot of information to try to get through just a quick break and we will be
4: right back. You're listening to Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith on Blog Talk Radio. Don't go anywhere. Alan and Donna will be right back.
1: everyone I'm Alan Smith and our show tonight is stop Underride act requiring front side and rear underride guards on large trucks and uh, and, and, and by the way this, this is a follow-up show from about uh, well, about a year ago about not?
5: a year ago yeah
1: that we had with uh, three of our six guests on tonight I think it's the first time we've had six guests this is going to be a challenge for me but uh, Mary Lois and Jerry were also on that show but since then there's been a lot more information testing data coming out including again the recent GAO report and so we have a lot to cover and only a short time to do so so we're going to I'm going to do my best here we're going to jump right in our discussion about the stop underwrite Act and the need for underwrite guards I want to introduce our guests for this uh, for this evening though uh, just so everyone knows uh, their background and where they come from and all this kind of stuff we our, our guest, we have Jerry and uh, Mary Ann Carth, and they lost uh, two children on May 4th, 2013. They were the youngest of their nine children. Uh, if, I have it, if I remember correctly, it was caused by uh, one truck making an illegal lane change, and it pushed them into another truck, which caused the, uh, the fatalities. And uh, Mary Ann is co-author of the Stop Underrides bill, which was introduced on December 12, 2017. and she is a passionate advocate for educating people about underrides and is a vital catalyst in organizing uh, many of the crash testing. She has a master's in public health and has worked for a variety of nonprofit organizations and program administration before raising and teaching her nine children at home. And Jerry Card comes from a uh, family where three generations of drove a truck, and his dad owned a Shell service station. He obtained two degrees in economics and information systems, and he developed expertise in IT management, serving in that role. And uh, Jerry became involved in advocacy for uh, safer trucks after, of course, losing his two youngest daughters, Analia, 17, and Mary, who was only 13. Due to a uh, under truck underwrite crash, and since then, he has reached out to over 100 trucking companies and trailer manufacturers, asking them to voluntarily improve their underwrite protection to save lives while at the same time uh, reducing their risk. Uh, Lois Durso is our next guest. She is an advocate. She lost her daughter to an underwrite crash in November of 2004 due to icy roads. Neither fault of the trucker, neither fault of her daughter, uh, just, just weather, mother nature. She is an advocate for truck safety. She received her BA in communication with honors and a master's degree from North Central College. And she also did additional graduate work at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And in February of 2017, Lois was part of a broadcast regarding truck underride on the Today Show. And this was the catalyst to join forces with the Carth family, Marianne and Jerry, in their advocacy to prevent countless deaths as a result of truck underrides. And Lois has also co-authored the Stop Underrides Bill with Marianne Carth, and since March of 2017, Lois has made dozens of trips to Washington, D.C. to educate and gain support for comprehensive underride legislation. Uh, Next guest is Aaron Kiefer. He is a forensic engineer who provides investigations into motor vehicle accidents for insurance and legal professionals. Uh, Mr. Kiefer founded Collision Safety Consulting in 2014 to test and develop motor vehicle safety systems. His first product, the Safety Skirt, is a lightweight aerodynamic guard designed to prevent underride type accidents. And his website is I'm also going to give you all the guest websites because a lot of information. That's Mr. Kiefer, trailerguards.com. Next guest is Perry Ponder. He is currently a consulting engineer with Seven Hills Engineering in Tallahassee, Florida. And he is the inventor of the Angel Wing Side Guard. And after working his way through college as a straight truck driver and graduating from Florida State University with a degree in mechanical engineering, Mr. Ponder was hired by Terminal Service Company, a small manufacturer of semi trailers, where he was a DOT design certifying engineer. And while he was at Terminal Service Company, he designed and tested rear underride guards compliant to the impending federal underride regulation known as Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standard or FMV SSS SS 223. Mr. Ponder left the full-time employment of TSC in 1998 to join Benedict Engineering but was asked to remain as TSC's DOT design certifying engineer, a position that he still holds to this day. And at at Benedict, Mr. Ponder engaged in motor vehicle accident investigation and reconstruction and in 2004, he formed his own firm, Seven Hills Engineering, also specializing in accident reconstruction. And uh, in 2012, he formed the company Angel Wing Side Skirts, a product meant to combine fuel-saving side skirts with life-saving side guards. And in 2017, Angel Wing was twice successfully crash-tested at the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety at car speeds of 35 and 40 miles per hour. And uh, did I give his website? Uh, oh no, and. Uh, Mr. Ponder's website is angelwingskirts.com. And finally, Andy Young joins us, and he is a uh, CDL truck driver and also an attorney and an owner of an old classic Peterbilt 359 that regularly hauls a much newer 45-foot race car trailer. Uh, Mr. Young is also an attorney, like I said, and one of the founding partners of Young and McCarthy LLP in northern Ohio. His law practice focuses on truck crash litigation throughout the country, and many of Andy's clients are truck drivers who have been hurt or killed by other negligent truck drivers and truck companies. He has obtained numerous multi-million dollar results for clients, including a $42.4 million verdict as a lead counsel for two Catastrophical Injured Plaintiffs in an Underride Truck Crash in Ohio. And he has numerous publication and lectures throughout the country on truck safety, truck litigation, and trial tactics. The Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, the Truck Safety Coalition, and NLA and Mary for Truck Safety invited him to serve as a moderator for two industry truck underride roundtables hosted at the IIHS Crash Test Facility in Rutgersville, Virginia and he also served on an organizational committee for these two events. Just last month, uh, Mr. Young helped uh, team drive a 2016 International Lone Star and a 53-foot Hyundai trailer to Washington, D.C. for the recent D.C. crash test, and he is currently the president of Ohio's Lorain County Bar Association and serves as an executive officer of the American Association for Justices Truck Litigation Group. And as both a member of OIDA and a past chair of the Ohio Association for Justices, he has provided hearing testimony before the Ohio Senate Transportation Committee on truck size and weight legislation. And firm believes that underwrite guards will keep truck drivers from facing possible jail time and keep the smaller motor carriers from eight figure verdicts that could bankrupt them. Underwrite guards save lives and truck driver livelihoods. Uh, Mr. Young's website is trush, truckcrashvictimhelp.com. And quickly, our, our guest, Mary Ann Carr, their website is annaleahmary.com, named after their children, of course. And that's spelled A-N-N-A-L-E-A-H, and then mary.com. And uh, Lois, our guest, her uh, website is stopunderwrites dot org so a lot there Donna but we just got to get rolling now I want everybody to know who we have on here where they come from their history and uh, let me just pull up everybody here and we'll just we'll try to just cover as much as we can Uh, Marianne and Jerry uh, thanks for holding on welcome to the show thanks for being here
5: thanks for having us Alan and Donna appreciate it hi 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 Mary Ann. Hi, Jerry. Hi.
1: Yeah. And Lo. Hello. Hi, Jerry. Let me get Lois up here. Lois, uh, welcome to the show again. Glad to have you back.
0: Thank you very much. Um, I'm glad to be back and um thank you for uh putting on this important um show just to educate um, um, more people about underride. Thanks, Lois.
1: Well I know a lot of uh, you know new new research and new information has come up. We're gonna to try to get to all that. Uh Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here.
7: Thank you, Alan and Donna. It's good to be here. Hi, Erin.
1: And uh now we have Andy. Andy, welcome to the show. Appreciate it.
2: Hey, Alan and Donna, thank you for having me. My goal is to hopefully convince OIDA, ATA truck drivers, and truck companies the benefits of these underrived guards and how they really protect them as opposed to uh, and offset all these costs and other issues that we're talking about.
5: Yeah, thanks, Andy. Amen to that.
1: And uh, finally, Perry. Perry, welcome to the show. Appreciate you being here.
5: Good evening.
8: Thanks for having me.
1: All right. I tell you, I've never – this is the most guests I've ever had on. I don't know how the – uh uh, any you know back noise or anything will help i'll just kind of handle that if i can we'll we'll ask a question uh, i know engi- engineering questions things like that uh to go to of course marianne jerry lois we want to get y'all in here too i think the best way donna what do you think is just uh we'll, we'll cover some of the questions that we have uh you know seen uh even from ATA uh, ATA and oida and drivers and i guess the the best person that feel that they can answer it or you know multiple persons can answer it. I guess every time you answer a question, maybe mention uh who you are so everybody knows who's talking. Does that all make sense?
5: Okay. Okay.
1: All right. Donna, did you want to start or
5: Um well, I just you know, um I didn't know if you wanted to go through I guess you kind of went through what the Stop Underage Act is. Um I don't know if we should go over that again. I think it was an important point you made that it's the National Transportation Safety Board that's recommended the installation of the rear side and front underride guards. Um, And that's because of, like you had brought up, that ATA and OIDA has actually used that to say that, um, let's see, concluded that they've said that it would be impractical and costly. So uh, can anybody on the line answer that contradiction for us? Because we're confused how they can be a part of the Underride Act, um, you know, recommending these and yet stating that uh, it would be impractical and costly in other writings. Anybody want to take that one?
2: This is Andy. I'm happy to take it if the other guests are okay with that.
1: Yeah, go ahead, Andy. I was going to say you might be the one for that since you're a member also. But yeah, go ahead. What do you think?
2: Yeah. So ultimately, I think that uh, through Edge, one of the things we learned at the DC crash test event is that this is a no-brainer from a trucking perspective, truck driver perspective, and truck company perspective. And most of the listeners are like, "What is he talking about? No-brainer to have these things." And what I'm talking about is is very simply that. When you have a truck and a car crash with one another, you don't have vehicle crash compatibility. That's the academic speak for the bumpers don't match up. So you have the first point of impact being the windshield and then the occupants inside the vehicle. Whereas if you have vehicle crash compatibility where the bumpers match up, then you have energy-absorbing crumple zones, you have uh, crum- uh, energy-absorbing bumpers, you've got crumple zones, you've got airbags, and you have seatbelts protecting the occupants inside the vehicle. So that's in those scenarios where the the, where the bumpers match up. And if you think about it, and if National Highway Traffic Safety Administration thinks about it as well, as well as uh, as the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety and all the crash testing that's done, the crash testing that's done presently presumes that the bumpers are going to match up when they are interact with another car, or if they hit a wall or something of that nature. Whereas in these catastrophic type scenarios where the bumpers don't match up, the truck driver, if the truck driver is at fault, goes to jail. For a vehicular homicide scenario or situation, or the truck company faces a potential civil lawsuit that ends up with an eight figure verdict and and then bankrupts them because ultimately the insurance that exceeds the insurance minimums so I'm happy to address how why Oida is wrong on these things, and those are the two primary components, and even Oida's own membership is, is sort of in contradiction as to how it works, but I don't want to dominate the time and I apologize for the lengthy answer.
5: Okay, so um maybe I missed the answer, but so the contradiction that the National Highway Traf- uh, Traffic Safety Administration then are you saying that they didn't conclude that federal mandates would be impractical? That they've never said that? Is that is that what your answer is?
2: So there, there's two components. The National Tra- Transportation Safety Board wants these things. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has said that it's too costly or doesn't – I don't remember what the verbiage is that they use, uh, but I think you mentioned it before, that it doesn't seem to make sense here. But if you think about where they're at, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is on rear guards, they instituted a new change in 1998. The Canadian standard changed in 2005. There's been a, a, a notice of proposed rulemaking to increase the standard to the Canadian standard, but it's still way behind all eight major trailer manufacturers who took taken it upon themselves to get what's called the Tough Guard Award through the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety. So NHTSA is way behind the eight ball. They're not only behind the eight ball on underride issues, but also on crash-worthiness issues for semi-tractor drivers in, in the original equipment manufacturer, which is a, probably another topic for your show, is why is NHTSA so – so crazed about making sure cars are safe but they're not making sure that the trucks are safe for the truck drivers.
5: Right. I, I think and, one, and and now one thing, you said, Donna, Yes.
0: This is, this is Marianne. Um
5: I think one thing you were asking about NTSB. They're the safety board that investigates big crashes. They're the ones that gave those safety recommendations for everyone. Can you just talk a little louder, Marian? The NTSB, the Safety Board, they investigate crashes and they made the safety recommendations to NHTSA. But the NTSB has no authority to make them do it. And it's you know NHTSA that has said it's not cost effective to do the just real quick, if
1: anybody has the show playing in the background, they'll have to mute it because it's getting really bad feedback. But anyway, go ahead, Marianne.
5: So you're saying no, that they don't have the authority, NTSB does not. They're the ones that okay. recommend. it and everything. the
2: taxpayer pays the NTSB's uh, basically budget and pays the NHTSA budget. So, in, the members of Congress are in charge of the power of the purse. Why NTSB has all these recommendations, yet NHTSA is not following through on these recommendations in a meaningful way is a head scratcher.
5: Yeah. So who? So who? Who is the rec- recommending them, and they're not following through?
2: The investigate, the NHTSA, the, or the National Transportation Safety Board, the NTSB is okay. recommending the regulatory changes to NHTSA. The NTSB is the one in the field seeing the devastation of these under eye crashes
5: firsthand. Okay.
0: Okay. And, and let me okay. just add also that it, this is Lois talking. Uh, the reason that um, NHTSA hasn't um, gone forward with side underwrite protectionists because they say it's because of a cost-benefit analysis. But the thing with it is, is that it's based their cost-benefit analysis is based on faulty data or insufficient data because we know that these uh, side underwrite crashes are grossly underreported.
5: Right. And that's what Indeed. the GAO report uh, just recently confirmed. I think some of the stats, I mean <clears> – <throat> Initially because of the underreporting they were saying that 5.5% or something like that of fatal accidents were underrides and the um extrapolated version uh, i guess you could say uh is more is closer to 50 to 80% are underrides correct correct okay so, we're, when is this data going to come through? I mean, it, they said they need to do it and I know how slow things are. When are they going to start with these confirmation studies to, you know, g- have the police have the correct forms at the crashes and like this. I mean, it it, it it's almost sounds painfully slow to me, but hopefully not. I, I what's your what's your idea?
2: This is Andy. Sadly, it's been painfully slow since 1953 when the first regulation went into effect for rear under eye guard. If you think about it, if they've determined that rear under eye guard is important or it's important in the science of data is there to protect the back of a a truck, then why isn't it also there for protecting the side of it? If you take a look at it from less of a microscopic view and a more of a macroscopic view, like a 30,000-feet view, look at all the science and data that's gone into protecting the passenger compartment from the car manufacturer's standpoint, all the money that's gone into airbag technology or even seatbelts or all these energy-absorbing bumpers and crumple zones. If you think about all that money that's gone into those and then all the various crash tests that are done to protect passengers, presuming a vehicle-to-vehicle bumper-matching-up scenario, even your best crash-test rated vehicles into the side of a trailer, the occupants are dead or have catastrophic results. So the science and data is there, yeah. but we're just looking at it too microscopically.
5: Right, right. Well, we, you know, I mean, you, you hear all the, uh, you know, concerns, uh, and mostly, um, well, Alan, what do you think? I mean, from what I'm, I'm looking at some papers here, it's mostly money and design getting stuck in railroad tracks. Uh.
1: Let me just get a, well, let's grab the engineers here. I mean, you know, they, uh, let me look at, uh, I said a little bit on the ATA's letter to the uh, senators and everything. Uh, I mentioned this is what the ATA says in their letter uh, addressing the Stop Under Rise Act of 2017. Uh, Like I said earlier, the the, the letter reads, regrettably, the bill is not based on science, data, or safety benefits. The bill ignores the potential technical issues it raises, uh, such as the one size does not fit all, because there's different types of trailers and everything. And uh, the letter says, uh, the Stop Underwrites Act ignores several complicating factors, such as engineering trade-offs involving weight, strength, and effectiveness of underwrite guards. And further, it raises operational issues related to ground clearance, movable trailer axles, and the diversity of truck and trailer designs. And um, then we get into the cost. The, the ATA letter says equipping the approximately 3.2 million trailers and semi-trailers pulled by Class 7 VII and 8 tractors, and the 4.8 million Class 4 8. Uh, straight trucks in the U.S. with side underwrite guards will far exceed the $10 billion the industry currently spends annually on safety. And as a result, the Stop Underwrites Act would divert a significant amount of both NHTSA and industry resources away from important crash avoidance technologies. Uh, so there's the money. And surprisingly, uh, the OA, the OIDA letter isn't much different. Now I'm here with... Uh, Quoting from uh, the OIDA letter written by Todd Spencer, president and CEO, uh, his letter his letter says regarding rear under ride guards, it would mandate truckers to install them on trailers that can't physically accommodate them, such as low boys, household goods trailer, auto transporters, and um, basically basically the fitting. For example, installation of the equipment would be a challenge um, Navigating grade crossings, high curves, backing into slope loading docks, properly utilizing spread axle trailer configurations, conducting DOT inspections, accessing equipment located under the truck such as brakes, and then we get into the different kinds of trailers: intermodal bulk, specialized, in flatbed. And then they get into the money. The bill mandates devices that aren't practical, that don't physically work, and that would create operational impossibilities. You should also note that the bill impacts millions of CMV trailers and straight trucks with an estimated price tag of tens of billions of dollars. And they they, uh, encourage the senators... To learn more about the trucking industry including this incredible diversity before continuing to promote the bill one size fits all solutions simply don't work so that's a lot there it boils down to money and it boils down to one size fit all so let's start andy the engineer founder of safety skirt
5: no it's aaron, I mean, uh, aaron.
1: I, I mean aaron yeah i've got these reading glasses on that makes it worse i think but, Aaron, okay, you engineered you found the safety skirt, then we'll go to Perry with the angel wing side. You, you hear all that from, you know, two of the largest uh, organizations in the country. And uh,
7: what, what is your response to that? Well, I want to tell the ATA and ELIDA that some of those concerns are legitimate. And those concerns can be met with engineering expertise Uh, one size does not fit all if if you go to the shoe store and all they have is a a size 13 and you wear a size 10 you're not going to buy it right but luckily we're here in the United States of America where uh, you you have options and you have abilities you have uh, engineers that have uh, capabilities of of coming up with workable solutions Um, and let, let me just talk about cost for one minute because that's one of the main, uh, one of the key design considerations of the product that I've been developing. Is that and, you, and this that. is
5: Aaron? Is this Aaron of the safety skirt or Perry? This is Aaron. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. This is Aaron.
7: Yeah. Okay. And uh, the, the product I'm working with is the safety skirt. And the, the reason that the safety skirt is simple and light and relatively inexpensive uh, and aerodynamic is I understand that it's it's pretty burdensome um, to require uh, additional weight on a trailer and additional costs. and so I'm trying to minimize additional costs with this design while providing fuel savings from aerodynamic benefit. and the science is there that a full length trailer skirt is more efficient than a normal trailer skirt that stops prior to the rear axles. And the numbers are there, and and I would think that no one would argue with that a trailer skirt on a semi-trailer is more efficient than a trailer with no skirt. And so to answer the questions, yes, there's got to be multiple sizes to fit multiple vehicles. Some vehicles, some trailers, like an automobile hauler, doesn't even need an underride guard because the chassis of that vehicle is very, very low to the ground and is going to engage the bumpers, like Andy mentioned earlier. And so low-boy trailers aren't going to need any sort of retrofitting on the side because they're so low. But there are a lot of design consistencies between box trailers and straight trucks that pose considerable risks. And those vehicles can be updated with guards Uh, to make them safer and more efficient Uh, the the design that I have which encloses the rear axles of the trailer offers an improvement of two to three percent fuel savings beyond traditional trailer skirts so what does that mean for a driver well an over-the-road driver who puts in a hundred thousand miles is going to save a thousand dollars to fifteen hundred dollars every year Going from a regular skirt to a full length skirt. And so there you go, there's methodologies to offset the costs of these types of systems with aerodynamic benefit. And secondarily, there's a lot of savings to be had, and, and hopefully, if you're an owner operator, you will never experience a fatal underwrite accident. But any large carrier has been through this, and as Andy alluded to the costs are enormous Uh, not just monetary costs, but the monetary costs are enormous why take that risk if there are engineering solutions available so and i'll you know i didn't answer all the questions but off the top i I feel like cost is something that that can be taken care of um, via aerodynamics and that many sizes can fit many configurations and the engineering wherewithal is there, especially on the part of the OEM manufacturers.
5: Okay. Um, uh, to to anybody, um, what is the actual cost uh, if you were going to have to, well, new and to have a retrofit? I know a lot of people are wondering that listening tonight. Uh, this
8: yeah, I'll answer that. Uh, right now, if you were to buy a single kit uh, through, my, through my distributor, uh, Airflow detector who's based in Montreal, Canada, it would be twenty-five hundred dollars. And obviously, if you buy a volume amount, uh, the
5: cost would go down there. That's twenty-seven hundred. You said five. Uh,
8: and that—that's the price of the 2, unit twenty-seven uh, hundred delivered to your door. Twenty-five.
5: Okay. Uh let me ask you, is that just for the side uh the side under guards? It is it is the side under under guard, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, and Donna, Don, if you think
2: about it from this is it, Don, Donna, this is Andy, and if you think about it from a newer trailer and tractor, let's let's use both the tractor and trailer combined. A new tractor is $125,000, or potentially up from that. A new trailer is $50,000. So when you add uh, $2,500 to a new trailer, and when you consider the whole combination, you're not not really adding that much money to the overall mix of things. It's you know a, a small percentage at the end of the day. But if you also take the trailer and look at it just from the trailer standpoint, a trailer has a 15 to 20 year or potentially longer lifespan. So if you break that cost out on a monthly basis, and then down to a daily basis which of course you can get depreciation on but if you break it down to a daily basis you're talking less than a buck a day and we all who are truck drivers fill up at the tank and you know pennsylvania has a 78 cents a gallon uh tax to it you know it's less than 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 one gallon of gas it takes you six miles down the road on a daily basis when you consider it from that from a perspective type standpoint from a cost standpoint
5: Now, what happens to people who have, like, a trailer, and it's on their last leg anyway? You know, maybe it's got a year or two left. Uh, And maybe they even have um, the skirts on there for aerodynamics. Um, so this, to,
2: this, is, what this is Andy again. This, this is Andy. So the city of New York has a plan through its Vision Zero of adding underride guards that don't necessarily protect vehicles from going under, but protect vulnerable road users or passengers, or excuse me, pedestrians and bicyclists. So the city of New York says when they phase out one of its trucks, straight trucks typically, that have one of their underride guards on it, they take the underride guard off and put it on a newer one or on another truck. So you could technically, and, and I'm familiar with Perry's product because I've installed it on a trailer that actually goes to Laredo, uh, Texas, to northern Ohio back and forth every week and has over 250,000 miles on it. Uh, I helped install that particular one. These things can very easily be taken off of one trailer and put on another one.
5: Okay. So, Bo, the, the, the person with one one truck, you know, and, and um, one trailer... Uh, you know, and what what happens, what happens to them?
2: So, so typically, the one truck owner. This is Andy again. Uh, the one truck owner is a leased-on owner-operator. So let's talk about OIDA and its memberships and sort of the conflict of interest it has in answering this question. So OIDA represents owner-operators who are typically leased-on to a larger motor carrier. So, they have their unit, but don't necessarily have a trailer that goes with it because they're leasing onto a larger tr- truck uh, motor carrier that has trailers that will be hooked onto their unit. So, 53% or thereabouts of OIDA's uh, membership is owner operator only leased onto other motor carriers. 47%, at least this would, these were the statistics when I testified on OIDA's behalf a few years ago to the Ohio Senate, 47% of OIDA's membership are smaller motor carriers. So typically if you're a smaller motor carrier with, with operating authority, you have one or two or three or four trucks. So when you consider that those companies and in the, in the trucks and the trailers are involved, you would hope that the costs would be offset through either insurance offsets because if we're talking about the life of a trailer 15 to 20 years and you, you're only strictly as a smaller motor carrier really have insurance for the insurance minimums, If you have one of these underwrite crashes, you're going to end up in bankruptcy if you don't have one of these guards because you're going to end up in bankruptcy because of one death, as Alan mentioned, how much is a life worth? Well, we all know a life is worth at least a million on the the low end, whether you're a child, stranger, mother, father, or otherwise. And the insurance minimums in the United States haven't changed since 1986, and they're at $750,000. So if you're going to Progressive, you'll typically get a million. But that's not enough insurance if you end up in an underwrite crash with a fatality, or worse, if you end up in an underwrite crash that ends up with a catastrophic injury, like a brain injury or a spinal cord injury, the bill then the taxpayers do through Medicare, Social Security disability, and Medicaid, and the company ends up in bankruptcy because they can't they they can't afford a verdict that's going to be beyond one million dollars in insurance coverage. And here's where OIDA is really wrong because OIDA is an, it, is an insurer. It it insures smaller motor carriers and its members, but it doesn't insure them other than at the insurance minimums typically uh, or at a lower rate. And the insurance amounts that OIDA is insuring its members doesn't cover a catastrophic brain injury or spinal cord injury type of a verdict or scenario. So OIDA is in in jeopardy of potentially bad faith litigation and bad faith insurance litigation by having woefully not enough insurance for the folks that they're insuring. if they don't pay up on the, that, that money. So if you think about it, the truck drivers, truck companies, and OIDA and insurance companies should want this and should offset that $0.55 cents to $0.60 cents a day cost uh, through the insurance in order to make it cost-effective for everybody involved.
5: Well, well, that's great. Thank you for that. And um, I'm, I just want to – there, there was a, a a radio show And it was on um, Landline And you know we're not picking on a lot It's just that we want to get the Address some of the things that are said And have uh, People who have actually Researched this um, Confront these statements head on So one of the Statements that was made on this um, Show Was there's no research uh, To improve Safety and we all know there's lots of research. Um, what do you say to them? I, I mean, what do you cite, like the all the research that's been done or all the crash testing? How do you how do you address that? Because this seems to be an argument that ATA and OIDA are making. When when we look, there's there's lots of data. So who wants to take that one?
2: This is Andy again. If I'll take it, unless somebody else wants to take it. So as oh, a okay. moderator of three pan- then I'm I,
1: gonna, go ahead. uh after you after you're done, Andy, then I'm gonna bring on uh Marianne and Jerry and Lois because uh let me see if I can find uh, let's see, Donna. Marianne, Jerry, and Lois, they were at the recent crash test. They the they
5: all remember? everybody on this show was at oh, that test. Were, oh,
1: okay. Well, yeah, uh, go yeah. ahead, Andy, and then Mary Ann, Jerry, and Lois will bring you on, and, and you all were at that crash test, and we'll talk about the research and everything. Go ahead, Andy.
2: Yeah, I helped deliver one of the trailers that crash test, but I was the moderator for the panel. Both Aaron and Perry were on the panel, and I've been a moderator for two other side-underride side underride panels and a rear-underride panel at the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety. We've had truck industry people on these panels, truck drivers and others, and they all say, are, they all end up in favor of it. And I've asked them all, well, why aren't we doing this? And the answer is universally, and it's one word, is education. So to answer OIDA, and I'm happy to get on Landlines or even write a, a letter to Landlines Magazine as an OIDA member, uh, to answer OIDA, I just don't think they've really thought it through. And it comes down to just strictly simple education as to realize right. that the benefits far, far outweigh the costs. And on all three of these panels, the one in 2015, 2017, and in 2019, that went because I always ask, well, how come we're not doing this? And fortunately, just by the grace of God, we got Alan and Donna, both of you guys, trying to educate the trucking industry membership out there the, the benefits. Because, you know, it's not just the victims like Annalia and Mary or even Lois Sturzo's child, Roya, of these particular crashes. It's the truck driver, too. Like, it, it, it is hard. Like, I would not want to be in the shoes of a truck driver knowing if I'm at fault that I took the life of somebody simply because there was an underride issue. And had there been a barrier underneath my trailer, then I would have been protected. I wouldn't be facing jail time. I wouldn't have to live with that consequence for the rest of my life. When I drove Aaron Keeper's 53-foot Hyundai trailer with that guard from from North uh, North Morrisville, North Carolina, up into northern Virginia... I felt never safer before in my entire life driving a tractor-trailer because I knew that if I changed lanes or created a situation and caused direct, wreck, man, those people weren't going to die because they weren't going to get underneath that
5: trailer of mine. Right. It, <clears throat> one of the um, things uh, reported, and I've spoken to Marianne and Lois about this Um uh, most un- this is a false statement most underride crashes do not involve intrusion to uh, passenger compartments and th- this was stated on that show and I mean that's wrong uh, correct me if I'm wrong but most of underride crashes do involve intrusion a- am I correct to say that? yes this is
0: Lois. Yes. Hi, Lois. Because what? Because when when it, when there's nothing for the car to engage with, and it goes underneath the trailer, um, the the trailer is actually going into the survival space of the um, passenger vehicle, and so that's passenger compartment intrusion. I, I I just want to know why why
5: why do they say that then? I mean is it based on some uh, literature or some test? I mean, to actually come out and say that most underride crashes do not involve intrusion to passenger compartment that's a very strong statement. And it's even that's stronger when it's not is.
0: true. Yeah. Excuse and me? That's what underride, this is Lois again, that's what underride is, is when you go underneath the trailer, the trailer comes into the survival space of the um, occupants in the passenger vehicle. And as Andy was saying a little earlier that, you know, the first point of contact is the windshield followed by, you know, the the individual, their, their head or wherever. Um, so that's passenger compartment intrusion. Okay. Um,
1: All right. What, I, what I've done here is... Uh I can't pinpoint down, but there's just a lot of feedback coming from somebody, and I can't pinpoint it down. So uh, I only have Lois's line open right now. So, uh, Donna, we might just have to do one at a time because, you know, I'm getting too much feedback okay. on something. But okay. You know, since we're on the subject, you're talking, Donna, about uh, the statement by James Grimes.
5: Like, um, yeah, uh, about the yeah. On the
1: interview, on, on the interview, where most underwrite crashes not involve intrusion to passenger compartment, and uh, what I meant to say a minute ago was that the crash testing in Washington D.C. where everybody was at, but it was hosted by Marianne, Jerry, and Lois, right?
5: I uh, yeah, I think okay.
1: Correct. So let's get Marianne and Jerry on here, and maybe uh, I'll just have to do this a little bit different because too much feedback coming from somebody. Uh, anyway, Mary Ann, Jerry, what? I mean, what do you think about what Donna brought up about you know the interview, the that most underwrite crashes do not involve intrusion in the passenger compartment. I mean, y'all hosted the crash testing. I mean, you want to jump in here and uh, share your thoughts on that?
5: There, is, I mean, is there a line open? Oh, wait a second. Yeah, well, oh, yeah,
1: they're open. Marianne and Jerry. huh. Y'all there?
5: Hello. Hello. Yeah, Marianne. Okay. Yes. Yes, this is Marianne. Okay. Go ahead. In terms of research, um, Don, I have the same question you do. I have no idea where they get their information when they say that there that there isn't intrusion. What I read from the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety is that, and I don't have the percentage right now, but that uh, there is a lot of intrusion when there is uh, collision into the side, rear, and front of trailers. Um, and and right. so I know that they have research showing that. And then, well, you know, we have uh, a, kind of research- we, we have we we re- we reported on um, Ask the Trucker. There's an article up there, and, I mean, it it has all about the – and and Aaron, um, thank you, Aaron, for sending over some information uh, about what happened at at the event, at the crash event, and that's included in the article. Um, But the video's on there uh, with the angel wing side guard, I mean, everybody needs to watch, look at this article. I mean, these videos are on um, Lois's website. They're on Jerry and Marion's website, but it's easy to get to at ours at Ask the Trucker, because uh, it's you know it it's got the whole write up of the event, the GAL report, and you actually get to see the videos. Um, now, Perry, Perry, your Angel Wing has been um, out there. For a while, right? People are actually um putting these on their trucks. Is that correct?
8: That's, that's correct. We probably have, uh, amongst all the units on which we have them installed, probably 750,000 miles in total. Okay. And that's and on is con- reefer trucks and uh, drive drop rate.
5: And one of the concerns is, and you can answer this, is weight. The drivers are very worried about weight, and um they really aren't that heavy. What are they like five hundred pounds?
8: The one we just tested at uh up in d c at the recent crash test demonstration was six hundred fifty pounds so and actually and is that it would have been both? lighter except that what is that for both sides yeah, I mean in total, six hundred fifty pounds that's correct,
5: okay. And uh, are we talking about uh, a possible uh, weight exemption?
8: That's my understanding. Uh, okay. I, and I know it's not uh, spelled out in the current, uh, the current legislation, but it's my understanding that that would be a consideration to make carving out a weight exemption for the uh, use of a, a side guard or some kind of underride protection.
5: Well, one of the drivers brought up that, they were supposed to have a weight exemption on an APU and certain states don't honor the exemption. Now, I don't know about that, but, um, uh, you know, if, if they say it's true, if, if something's a federal, a federal uh, mandate, doesn't that, um, preempt the state or do the state's rights still preempt federal? I mean, that's something that we'd have to discuss, uh, you know they yes. don't want to get Donna? caught yes this is marianne there in the bill as it stands right now there is no weight exemption but the co-sponsors of the bill uh, are working on language drafting language for it it's um it's yet to be seen whether that will would be cl- included in the final bill but they are definitely mm-hmm. open to it and as as far as I know, I don't know, you maybe knew you knew better, Andy, um, federal would um the federal standard would be would work for all, you know, interstate traffic. I don't know. Andy, what do you think?
2: Uh, generally, there would be a federal preemption. That is correct. and sure. it simply be, it, it would depend on the definition of commercial motor vehicle, which comes down to the weight of the vehicle itself and then whether or not it's interstate, moving goods or people, and without getting too, too further into the nuances of it. Now, if it's an intrastate truck, most of the states have adopted the Federal Motor Carrier Regulations internally as part of their own state administrative regulations. Uh, but if it's an interstate only truck then maybe there could be a situation or scenario where the state would say no we're not going to allow that but many states even michigan unfortunately it allows for way too uh too heavy of vehicles which oida is against and and many others uh, are against but uh so yeah the weight the weight issue can change state by state but generally more up as opposed to down
5: okay and and, and and the biggest, um, so we've, we've covered the cost, um, the weight, because you seem to be, um, Alan, um, I... Yeah,
1: I'm looking, was funny, the cost, the weight,
5: the... And the hang-up, the, the, yeah. the hang-up on tracks and going into um, grade, yeah, like...
1: Up and down grade, you know, the more I look at it, all that is just, it's just a, it's it just all boils down to engineering, like... Uh,
5: you know, like they were saying. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm, Perry, Aaron, um, have you have you fixed all those problems with uh, railroad tracks and grades and, go you know, backing up into loading docks? These are all the things that, you know, we've jotted down. Actually,
1: that was most of what we got
5: Yeah, it, yeah.
1: The, this, you know, the, how, are they, how are these Uh, Skirt's going to react to, you know, railroad crossing and grades and things like that. And, uh, again, uh, just engineering factor, right? Yeah.
5: So you guys, you know, I mean, do you feel comfortable that that's all going to be addressed?
7: Yeah. uh, This is Aaron. Can you hear me? Yes. Uh Hello? Yeah. Yeah, Um, Go ahead, Aaron. Okay, thank you. So, and and Perry and I have taken different approaches to solving this problem. And I'll let Perry talk about his design, which is I think a very um, workable design. Uh, My product though is flexible. And so it basically is a trailer skirt. And what I have done is taken pains to preserve the approach and exit angles on the vehicle as it is, AKA putting nothing lower in the front uh, than the landing gear leg uh, height, and nothing lower in the rear than the underride guard height. And so, using a flexible material between those two hard points, front and rear, where the safety skirt mounts, is going to prevent any sort of additional possibility of hanging up um, over a raised uh, crossing, for instance, where there has been talk of, well, maybe a vehicle could high center if it has a guard. But if you have a flexible guard in there, then it's just not going to be an issue. There's actually some footage on my website, trailerguards.com, that illustrates backing a 53-foot trailer across a 15-foot wide raised grass median. And and what you see, uh, in fact, is the skirt flexing and bending as the trailer moves across. Um, And it was such a a high median that the landing gear uh, feet, the lower areas of the landing gear, actually dug into the grass. And so I was illustrating, look, if you can put the trailer across this with the product on, you're really not going to have any sort of trouble. Um, And maybe uh, at the end of the day, the only issue that the safety skirt might encounter in terms of of obstacles would be uh, a very sloped, uh, deep, uh, loading dock in a pit. But even there, you're going to have the ability of the skirt to flex and bend. Um, I've been using uh, skirting material from a company called Wabco, Meritor Wabco, their Optiflow skirt, and it's a very flexible skirt that is designed, if it encounters an object, to flex out of the way and then to return to its original shape. Um, and so that's what I've done, and, and Perry has, has a different approach, which, which also works
1: okay well in, in regard to that the, the flexibility and bending I mean that was one uh, one question I received too was uh, driver's concerns about damage to the skirting I mean if it hit if it hits uh, you know whatever the object is and it bends and re- you know flexes and bounces back uh, is this material
5: uh, repairable. Yeah, repairable I mean,
1: <laughs> Mm -hmm. what about that just that one question damage to the skirting I mean I mean if they you know do you know two thousand twenty five hundred dollars for skirts it gets damaged on a railroad crossing or a a deep dip like you're saying uh, with it you know would they turn around and have to buy another twenty five hundred dollars what about the damage
7: you do see some skirts on the road today that do have a little bit of damage Um, so it's not impossible to damage a trailer skirt um, the skirt that I'm proposing is longer and encloses the rear axles, and so it will be available to be struck. Uh, and so I'm not going to say it's impossible to damage that skirt, but given the nature of the material, you can drive it into um, a, a curb or a bollard and, and have a significant um, ex, you know, intrusion in that area and leave nothing behind but, but scrapes. And then when you do damage the skirt ultimately, Um, I would recommend, yeah, go ahead and replace that thing. They're not terribly expensive, but you can also rivet in a small piece of skirting material uh, or have a shop do that to cover the damaged area um, as you would patch a trailer. And so it's not impossible to have that sort of repair. And I've seen them on the road. I wouldn't recommend it per se because skirts are relatively cheap. But, um, you know, these are legitimate concerns because these trucks live in, in harsh environments. They're asked to do a lot in all weather. And so... I think that answering these questions with additional testing is what my little company is trying to do right now. Uh, we have an owner-operator who is going to be driving this summer uh, with the safety uh, safety skirt system installed and giving us feedback on different scenarios and how the system performed.
1: Right, and of course you're again you're again with the safety skirt at com And again, you know you have to look at it too. I mean, yeah, you know there there might be, but you know. This, we're specifically dealing with, you know, saving lives
6: here, you know.
5: You were going to say something? Well, I was just going to ask, um, you know, Alan, you know about, like, getting under the truck and everything when you have to do pre-trips and everything. How How is that going to um, – and this is another question for the engineers, I would assume, and how is that – going to affect the drivers when they're doing their pre-trips and and or if something goes wrong and they have to go under how, how do you can you get under those uh skirts or the angel wing um yeah. you know
1: yeah we'll ask we'll ask aaron first on the safety skirt and then we'll go to perry on the uh angel wing side okay. But aaron how, how about that concern uh with the uh, safety skirt
7: yeah that is the biggest concern and i think it's the most legitimate concern is if you're going to use the safety skirt the skirt has to enclose the rear axles well what does that do for you it prevents an underride in the rear portion of the vehicle it prevents a rear underride by strengthening the rear guard but it also makes it more difficult to access the rear axles you are actually saving fuel above and beyond a normal skirt on the downside In order to access for a tire change, for instance, the skirt would have to be removed from the rear of the vehicle. And if you notice in the testing that was done in Washington, D.C., the three crash tests that we did back-to-back-to-back, the third test was conducted on the same trailer, the same side as the second test, and it took two engineers about four minutes to take the safety skirt off. And so we have worked to make it straightforward and easy and quick to remove the skirt from the rear of the trailer if needed for a tire change. Um, now, there does need to be more work to make that skirt uh, sized and shaped in such a way that drivers can easily, quickly, and efficiently conduct their pre trip inspections. Uh, that's something that Andy, as he drove that truck up to, uh, the testing observed you know the more skirt you have on your trailer the more fuel you'll save but on the flip side you have to have enough access to the wheels to look at your tires to inspect your lugs uh, things of that nature prior to starting your trip and so that's the trade-off that we're working with is how much exposure do we need to give in that rear axle area um, but yeah you know perry's answer is going to be much different but if you look at the future of trucking and the future of efficiency all the super trucks, super trailers have the enclosed axles at rear and so that's where I believe really the only uh, area for development in terms of safety and efficiency is to enclose those rear axles
5: okay and Perry now yours doesn't go um, it doesn't cover the axles am I correct to, to say that
8: that's correct and it presents no issues in terms of examining the uh, trailer axles I mean, any more than uh, above and beyond a a normal uh, side shirt.
5: Okay, so is there uh, any issue for a pre-trip or getting under the under the truck? None. Okay, so they're two two totally different designs, Um, and um, when um, Aaron, when when is is yours on trucks now? I mean, is it? been approved and you know you're you've got them going on trucks or is this still in you know a process
7: you know my device is still in development and that we have one you're in, truck, okay uh, with the device for testing and it's not even for sale yet um, something I just wanted to point out is that you're talking to two guys <clears throat> designs on their own I, I say tongue-in-cheek working in a garage right um, and there are many skilled engineers out there at many trailer manufacturers who can promote and, and design and build systems like these that may in some ways be superior. And so any argument about it's impossible from an engineering perspective, it's just not going to work, the trade-offs are too great, I, I really feel like those are just smoke screens because, you know, we have a, a couple of decent designs here, um, but but we're small and um, you know, we're, we're using the the resources we have to our full extent, but we don't have the resources of a large OEM. And so if, if some company would step up and uh, provide a reasonable design, I think that you'd see some movement in the industry. And that may be some interesting um, lines of questioning, if you guys have time in, uh, in this show even, because there are some designs that are starting to pop up in the patent documents from some of the major players on side guarding. And so while you may be hearing a lot of pushback, um from the a t a or from oida in fact the 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 ball is in motion or the pendulum is swinging towards guarding as the o e m s are taking notice and conducting their own r and
5: d okay well i i think the the biggest statement that they that they've made the cost uh um outweighs the safety and and you know that just isn't true and and of course they're basing it on data that is misleading and especially with the um, new uh, GAO report stating that there's a significant number of um, underride fatalities much higher that's been reported because they're not reporting them. So of the approximately 4,000 um, fatal, fatal crashes that are involved with um, big trucks, uh, they're, they're stating 5.5% when in actuality a more realistic number for that 4,000 would be 2,000 underride fatalities. Uh, does everybody agree with that? That's realistic, and I, I think that's almost conservative, because I've heard almost 80%, 90%, but we'll be conservative and say 50%. Um, yeah,
1: I was, uh, in fact, I was, you beat me, to and I was just fixing to, fixing to go there. And uh, let's, let's take a quick break here, Donna. Well, it's going to take about a three-and-a-half-minute break, and when I come back, I was going to touch on that with Marianne, Jerry, and Lois, because, their research skills are, are amazing, wouldn't you agree?
5: Yeah, they yeah. do a lot of research.
1: So I, I, it's funny you brought that up just now because I was looking at it too and thinking, well, you know, they have the research, they've done just amazing research. So let's take a quick break, guys. Everybody take a little breath. We'll come back here in about three, three and a half minutes, and then Marianne and Jerry and Lois like to get you all on here and, and talk about the research all the research y'all have done and anything you can share with us so uh, hang with us we'll be right back every time I find something every time I see something I think is, is, is a, just a really good thing really good for drivers that can help drivers uh, make more money make their lives easier you know whatever the case is be we you know I I think I've had a pretty good record of uh, uh, sharing those things with everybody that has proven to always be always be pretty much right on. And uh, there's something there's something I came across, and I have been watching it for a long time, dealing with them, talking. And I want to I want to share that with you, owner operator specifically. I, I want to tell you about a, a new way to find good paying loads, or I should say, a new way for those good paying loads to find you. And it, it's called Zyper, and uh, it's it's spelled X Y Zyper. So uh, so what is Zyper? I really like this thing. I want I want to get this out to everyone. Zyper combines a massive load board with a virtual dispatch system. And and owner-operators, we we all know the feeling of too often being frustrated waiting at a truck stop for loads or accepting cheap freight just not to drive back empty, but you really don't have to. The, the, there's a Zyper app and it's not just a load board. It's a virtual dispatch system which finds you custom loads and send them directly to your phone. And after you download and set up the Zyper app, shippers will know your exact location, your route, your destination, your equipment, and available capacity, and they will send you an available load matching your criteria, the criteria that you set in. So you can accept it or you cannot accept it. It's totally up to you. And Zyper, it intuitively knows when you are available. Zyper notifies you instantaneously, directly to your phone, and you can even maximize each route with multiple loads. So drivers, I, I want to invite you to take the Zyper challenge. Think about it. Wouldn't it be great to not have to always search for new loads, but instead be notified directly and immediately when custom loads designed for you are available? And not only that, wouldn't it be even better if you had all the paperwork done for you? Zyper actually sends loads offers to the drivers, automatically generating documents such as order confirmation, bill of lading, signature capture, proof of delivery, and invoices to shipper immediately after shipment is made. And in, In addition to all this, Zyper offers the ability for shippers to track their shipment live while in transit. And these are the same duties a dispatcher would offer except Zyper performs all of this in a virtual system. And it's only uh, $25 a month. And so go ahead, lock in at the $25 a month. You know, there's similar apps out there with less features that are going for 10 times that price, $25 a month, or $250 a month. It's pretty much a, no, a no-brainer. Lock it in at $25 a month. Go ahead and take the Zyper challenge and you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Right now, there's a free trial available, so go to Zyper.com. That's that's X-Y-T-P-E-R.com, and it's definitely a win-win for any owner-operator trying to maximize profits. Another thing I like to try to pass on, and uh, just trust me on this, check it out, and I know you will uh, be glad you did. All right, hey, we're back. Uh, What I was saying before the break was uh, Marianne and uh, Lois, you know, you guys, we had y'all on the show about a year ago. Since then, I'm sure that there has been a lot more research you guys have done. So with the GAO report coming out saying that these crashes are really uh, underreported, since the last time you were here in the last past year, all the like I was saying earlier, all those uh, research abilities are amazing. Share with us what just update us on the research and, and uh, how you would respond to uh, you know some of these questions and everything that some drivers are asking and and everything. So Mary Ann, Jerry, we'll start with you. Lois, we'll go with you. Again, Mary Ann and Jerry Carr uh, lost their two children, Annalia, uh, 17, and Mary, 13, in 2013. And uh, so they... Don and I was talking earlier about just the amazing Work y'all do in research But Mary Ann, Jerry, jump in Lois, uh, jump in And uh, What research has has Become new in the Year that you've been here with us
5: I can't hear you, Mary Ann Lois, you I'm sorry? Okay, I
1: don't know. Are you on the speakerphone?
5: Is this better? Yes. Yeah, the speakerphone just doesn't work. Go ahead. We can hear you now. Okay, so, so we have found that the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety has done research to show that. The, like Donna was mentioning, the 4,000 uh, annual truck car fatalities, what Vincent reports is that 4% of them are due to underride, but research has shown that it's probably more likely 27 to 50% of those are underride. And Lois and I have both found that in our cases, um, our cases just confirm that. For example, I'll tell about ours. We found the federal report on our crashes, and it shows for the year 2013 in Georgia that there was one under-eye death at the rear of trailers, and we know that we had two daughters that died from underwrites So right there, that's a 50% error. And yeah, um, Lois, do you want to talk about yours?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, again, you know, when I, as Marianne said, uh, that it's really more like of that 4,200 or thereabouts um, fatalities every year between um, – uh, car and truck crashes, about 27 to 50% is what um, uh, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, that's what their research showed, and that was from 1998. Um, And so that that puts the number probably right around that 2,000 mark, but we know that it could be higher, too. I mean, this is from, again, 1998. So um, in my daughter's case, Uh, When you look at the FARS data, uh, for 2004, uh, her crash was on the left side, and um, it had gone underneath the trailer. Uh, The rear wheel impacted the car, and um, there was uh, passenger compartment intrusion, and uh, when you look at the FARS data, when it asked compartment intrusion, uh, the answer is zero. So... I you can see her car exactly where the tire went into it, so that was uh inaccurate. Great. Okay. And the insurance yeah, to um, oh, I, I that, mean,
5: Yeah.
0: I was just gonna say that oh, yeah. the uh, insurance institute for highway safety they've done other um um reports too about undercounted um fatalities uh, due to underride. Uh, there was another a status report in 1992 that came out and it just said that the death count um, may be too low as well. So it, this is an ongoing problem.
5: And this is Mary The GAO report that just came out this month, as you said several times, Donna, has said that it's severely underreported and that, so that just confirms what we what we already knew. And the the problem uh, with saying, uh, which some people say we need more data, is um, if if we wait to get better collection of data, that may take ten years to get more accurate data because uh, each state has a different crash report form. Some of them don't even mention underride, and we already know that hundreds of people die every year. So we, we know that people are dying under trucks and we know that these engineers have come up with solutions and uh, and these engineers are, as Erin has said, uh, willing to listen to what the problems are and engineers love to solve problems. That's, that's what they do. And so I, I really am hoping that Um, Congress will give a green light to those engineers to move forward with uh, putting resources into like Aaron said these are just um, two engineers here that have come up with solutions that the crash tests show are successful and if uh, if we would nobody wants to invest a lot of resources into it yet because they don't think there's a market so it's a chicken and egg dilemma here and we, we need somebody to tip the skills and move us forward in this process. Well, well you know, I, I was in research um, for many years. And, I, I mean, maybe this is just too a simplified thought. Uh, and, every, you know, this, this goes out to all of you on the panel. But if some states don't have the correct reporting, um, and, Mary do some states have correct reporting? Is there any any states that has this down as as part of the reporting, an under-red crash? In other words, are there states that are doing it better than other states? And, and, and are they recognized as such? I know that some states have a checkbox on their crash report form. I don't know if that has... Um, gotten them better results or not. The GAO report mentions that uh, the, the states that they talked to actually, um, because they were having this discussion, started looking more into their crashes and were actually surprised at that it was a more frequent occurrence than they had realized. So well, I don't Well, think if that's the case, <laughs> then I think if they... If they looked at that data, I mean, this is, you know, until the actual data, which you said could take 10 years. So to just look at that data and compare it to the states that have no check boxes and aren't reporting and, you know, really have, you know, no way other than writing in the box uh, their conclusions of it, compare it and then perhaps, you know, there could be a more realistic. They can extrapolate uh, off of the the state's data that has this information. You know, uh, I mean, yeah. that would it wouldn't be totally accurate, but it would give a much more realistic figure. In the meantime, uh, Donna, I mean, I don't know why they don't uh, do that.
0: Yeah, Donna, this is Lois. Um, The the one thing that Marianne and I talk about all the time is that we know that the numbers are just say five hundred a year, according to the FARS data. Which is we know that that's grossly underreported, but we think that five hundred people dying under trucks every year is enough to move forward. That's a lot of lives. I mean, they changed
5: um, federal regulations for safety. To save twenty-six people uh, a year, Mm -hmm. and um, um, you know, I mean, and and that that was like you know a really big deal. I thought, well, if we could save twenty-six people a year, then we need to go forward Mm -hmm. with this. And um, so now we're talking about five hundred possible thousand and um and we're talking about cost and and all like that and you know and these are concerns you know the the concerns of getting stuck on a railroad track of dipping under you know into a pit and i mean these are real real concerns and you know what 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 i think a lot of it is i mean the the um the drivers working for carriers of course it's not it's not a concern because it's going to be up to the carriers to pay for, for this the owner operators who are already strapped with a lot of expense a lot of regulation you know i can understand their you know their concerns especially if they own all their own equipment and so forth but you know even that uh, at some point can be um addressed and uh it really what it all boils down, we always say that all these problems with um with truckers or most of them, it all boils down to wages. Uh either either the profits of your own owner operator with um the freight rates, um or you know, with drivers, of course this doesn't affect their costs, but drivers' wages have been stagnant for thirty years now anyway. So I think drivers in general are, um, you know, upset over being regulated and being blamed. But when you can go past that and and say, well, let's look at everything with the facts. And I think I think we've unveiled a lot of facts tonight.
1: Has anyone has anyone on the panel here have has anyone done actual research on the psychological damaging that a driver experiences after a fatal accident. Has anybody done any research on that specifically? I'm just curious.
5: This is Marianne. I haven't done research, Uh but I know from people who have said that it's not uncommon when a driver has someone die under their truck whether or not the truck driver is at fault, then they quite likely will experience post-traumatic stress syndrome. And I know maybe, Andy, you could speak to that from anything you've experienced in your cases.
2: Yeah, as uh, Marianne indicated, uh, these folks end up with post-traumatic stress disorder in a fairly substantial numbers. I mean, most victims of these crashes already have that, but the truck drivers, regardless of fault, Uh, experience horrible situations of ptsd because of i mean they see fatalities on the road in their jobs fairly regularly more than most but when it's your own truck and your own trailer and and having it weigh on your conscience that maybe something could have been done differently and then particularly if you're at fault and then having to face jail time and losing your livelihood it's just the it's just horrible uh, for that person to deal with those particular issues, and these drivers, and I have to take a ton of these drivers' depositions, and they just are reduced to tears, even when it's a truck driver that's killed, and, and there are scenarios where trucks are under ride the rear, like if you take a flatbed truck on the highway stopped in a construction zone, and a, and a truck rear ends it at fairly significant speed, that flatbed truck turns into a guillotine and slices right through that cab of that truck pretty substantially creating a death type situation for those even truck drivers and you know the, the truck drivers are victims too so when when we're talking numbers of let's say 500 fatalities there's 500 truck drivers behind on the other on the flip side of that that are now having to deal with that and p- potentially either leaving the business or having to leave the business and losing their livelihoods
1: right Right, and I've seen that in my own experience, where uh, drivers I've known who've been in fatality have, uh, you know, that that was it. I mean, they just uh, couldn't recover, and they they just left it left it all together. So I, I, I was just curious on uh, any thoughts that that y'all had.
5: I, I have a question, Alan. I'm I'm doing your Facebook for you while you do your um, dashboard okay. for the radio show.
1: Yeah. And then we'll, we'll be winding down here, but then I do want to go go with everybody for one final thought because there's – I mean, if, I don't know how many pages I have in front of me. I have so much information. I want to make sure each one of our guests has a final say to add to maybe something that we've missed, okay? Yeah, that's, that's okay. good.
5: Well, here here's okay. something coming up from um, – and she's, I believe, listening to the show – um, saying, what about just having them uh, put on the new, the new, trailer, the, the new trailers, rather than force people to put them on the ones now. And in, in, in other words, not to have to retrofit. Is this something you know that that there could be a compromise on? Well, I have a real strong opinion on that. Um, mm-hmm. There are maybe. 300,000 new trailers manufactured and sold every year, and mm-hmm. there are 2.5 two million to maybe 10 million trailers existing on the road. How long would it take for there to be a turnover of new trailers so that, that there are no more uh, death traps on the road? Um, uh, the kind of trailer that our car collided with, Was a Great Dane 2007 trailer Um, Last year, 2018 I saw a crash I didn't see it But I heard of a crash um, I believe in maybe New Jersey Where a man in a car Rear-ended a Great Dane 2005 trailer um, That was just as weak as the one We crashed into which, in our case, it just came right off on the road, and my point being um, that trailer was still on the road today, that kind of a trailer, that somebody could die from rear ending, and when there are retrofit kits available for rear under guards for maybe five hundred dollars, and if it starts being mass produced that that cost may even go down so why, why would we leave on um, millions of trailers that somebody uh, could crash into and die from when they, for $500 you could retrofit it? Well, the $500 is for a rear guard, though, right? Right. So we're, we're talking about both rear and side. So it's the same. I'm, I'm being real passionate about the rear because that's what ours was. But you know, I'm just as passionate about the side. I, the, the same situation would be there. Um, okay. Why? When, because when I think they already have the deal. rear guard on, right? But those are too weak. Those are too weak. It's, they've been proven okay. to be too weak. Okay. Okay. Um, but I think I think what they're talking about here is the side guards. So, well, I think um, that's
6: just as important.
5: I think that's just important. There are millions okay. of trailers out there.
7: this is aaron keeper can i can i interject at this point which is
5: you sure can
7: okay the the one statement i want to make well to be brief is that my product even though it's a side skirt anchors into the rear corner of the trailer and so in order for this product to work the system actually reinforces the existing guards that mary ann was talking about so the products that are on the road right now that do not stop an underride and failed to stop her vehicle from sliding underneath the trailer those guards can be strengthened and retrofitted and and that's part of this whole process As trailers live a long life and so yes obviously it's going to be uh, better cheaper uh, lighter weight and more efficient to do it from the OEM level but you know, are we willing to wait 20 to 25 years for trailers to get safer across the board and that's where the heart of Mary Ann and Lois are with asking for retrofitting. Um, and I would say that, yes, in some cases, maybe it's not gonna work. It's not one size fits all for the retrofit, but there are other cases, and those cases are the 53 foot dry van trailers that can be retrofitted in general, in my opinion. Maybe not every single trailer of every single year on the road, but the majority of them could be. And I know that's controversial, but that's how I see it as an engineer.
5: And and in in response to, uh, Alan, are are we ready to make our final statements yet? Uh, Yeah, go ahead. That's fine. Who is this
1: now? Is this Marianne?
5: This is Marianne. um, Because I want
1: to. Yeah, go ahead.
5: I want to spring off of what Aaron said about the one size fits all. Because I know that has Mm -hmm. come up several times. And. that the the bill just totally is not a one size fits all bill it doesn't say everybody has to do it like this it's as we've said over and over tonight um, engineers can come up with solutions to fit the the variety of trucks that are out there and so i just want to make that clear the bill is not a one size fits all bill it's it's flexible and i also want to and say and some that some trailers won't even have to have them that's right. If if a trailer is such that it has um, equipment on it so that an underride is not even possible, then no, you don't have to put underride equipment on there. Well, why would you need to? The, the point of the underride equipment is to stop cars from going under. If it already would stop it, then you know there's no need for additional expense. And then one more thing I want to say um, that we haven't talked about is the bill includes a committee on underwrite protection that would include people from um, all areas of the, the trucking industry um, to help oversee the rulemaking as it goes through so that these kinds of questions that we've been raising tonight will be addressed in a timely and a collaborative manner. Okay, and who's included in that? Um, uh, trucking manufacturers. Uh, trailer manufacturers, transport companies, engineers, safety advocates, injury prevention people. And what about drivers? Can they be a part of that? I'm, I'm sure that we can um, make sure that, that they would be included um, because, as we've talked about tonight, they're an important part of, uh, they're the ones that will be driving them every day. Right, because you know, I think their voice in that um, could could actually spark ideas uh, right. to the engineers, just like this show tonight. Hopefully, has you know, um, helped in that area.
1: Okay, uh, Ger- is Jerry still there with you, Marianne?
5: Yeah, Jerry, are you on the other one? here. Let me turn on this phone. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, yeah, just their uh, final thoughts here before we close out. But, Jerry, I'd like to get you on here, too. Uh, anything that maybe we missed, an important aspect that you want to make sure you you get out this evening?
6: Well, first of all, I want to thank you for having us back on. That was very gracious of you again. And secondly, if you get any questions that come in, we'll be more than happy to try to answer them. Even after the show is done you get them over to us, we'll get back to you. As always. Okay, you know, just send them to your email days. or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fine. You and Marianne can work that out. We'll figure it all out. Okay. But, but okay. again, you know, my family is three-generation professional truck driver. We are not against truck drivers. We're trying to help them as much as we are to provide safety. And, right. unfortunately, it's the truck driver who bears the brunt of an accident. Yes, I lost two daughters, but, again... You know, you stop and think about it. The truck driver is bearing the brunt of what's going on, and that's unfair to them. We're helping the base when we know we can prevent it with safety equipment, and it's you know it's time to step up and get this one done and uh, move on. We got other bigger problems to solve, and so, uh, you know that's how I right. feel. And uh, more than willing to have an open dialogue with anybody in the industry and the drivers. They want to do it again. Let's do it. Let's have an open dialogue. Let's get this resolved.
5: Well, there's there's a few. I, I think we should have a follow up and on the next show, um, include a, a panel of drivers with you, and um, you know just just get all concerns in this way. They they can have them all written down, um, presented. I mean, I think we've covered most of the things that we've read. I mean, does everybody agree? I think we've covered it all. But you never know. You know, people have. Uh, their thoughts and they might want to bring up their, their concerns. I, I still think that cost is, is probably like you take up an owner operator where perhaps, you know, they have three trucks. Now we're talking $7,500 in a retrofit. Um, that's, that's, that's a lot of money for them, you know? And I I think that's probably um, a a big concern for them.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll have a follow up here, and uh, as we wind down here. But Lois, let's uh, let's go to you next. Uh, uh, anything we might have missed? Any thoughts or things that we didn't get out to uh, our listeners that you want to make sure gets out there?
0: Um, yeah, one of the things that you know I I read quite uh, often on blogs and whatnot is um, you know I know that there's a lot of distracted driving out there. And um, I know that a lot of times when these crashes happen, it could be weather, it could be driver error, or just somebody making a mistake. And regardless of the reason, all that stuff can be sorted out later, you want to make sure that people don't die. And that's why the underwrite protection is so important, because um, for whatever reason uh, these crashes happen, we want to just make sure that people don't die. And with underride protection, it'll um, reduce the risk and make these crashes much more survivable.
5: Yes. Well, we do agree. I mean, we had, uh, you know, a, a trucking company. It was a moving company. So, Alan, I'm not sure if, um, if our trailers would have qualified for an underride, would they? I mean, you know that better than me.
1: I went with a, a really low ride trailer. Remember how low it was? Yeah. I mean, it was just uh, barely off the ground. Okay, so it that probably wouldn't have wouldn't have even needed it and everything. So, um, Aaron, how about you next? Any any uh, thing that maybe we missed? You want to make sure uh, you get out there?
7: Yeah, I just want to echo what's already been said by Donna, which is cost is a big issue, and that's something that I'm sensitive to with what I'm trying to do with the engineering solution. And I would love to have some input from truckers about ways that the safety skirt can be evolved. But the overall heart of that product is to provide a product that pays for itself. And so a trucker who is currently um, averaging, at us say, 100,000 miles could get a return on investment by putting that system on. Above and beyond a simple trailer skirt. And so working with the owner-operators, working with the drivers, hearing their concerns, and trying to implement a solution that would – that would address those concerns is really where uh, i am with this product and so i'd love to have a dialogue trailerguards.com you can post there you can email me uh, my email address is on the website and i'd be happy to respond and and uh, who knows maybe there's some drivers out there who'd want to try one of these systems out and say yeah that really worked for me or no it didn't and i'm open to that as well So thank you for the time i really
5: appreciate it, the opportunity to be here too I think having somebody actually try them, I, I think yep. that would be a great idea, Aaron.
1: That would be a great idea. Uh, okay, Andy, uh, Andy next. Any, uh, any final thoughts?
2: Uh, yeah, first off, thank you very much. I, I really want to speak to the truck driver perspective and, and the cost. I mean, truck drivers often are driving somebody else's trailer, if I'm a truck driver, I want an underride guard. The Angel Wing has been out there over 500,000 miles, tested, works, works well. If I'm a truck driver driving any trailer, I would want an underride guard on my trailer. And as Donna mentioned, $7,500. If you do it, that breakdown per 15 years over that time period and you consider it, it's, you're talking about less than 20 bucks a month. And we all know about the truck driver parking shortage. And we, we we're probably frustrated to no end that the TA and all these other, uh, these truck stops have paid for parking. Man, you're paying 10 bucks for one night of parking for a good night's sleep. Well, if you're paying less than 20 bucks a month, you can not only have that good night's sleep, but you can have the peace of mind knowing that nobody's going to die under your trailer if you have one of these underwrite guards on there. And these side guards truly do save lives, but they, mo- they also save livelihoods. And really it's the truck driver that needs to talk about, Wanting this improved vehicle safety device on their vehicle in order to save lives and save their livelihoods going forward. Thank you again.
5: Okay, thanks, Sandy.
1: All right, we appreciate it. And, and I, you know, again,
5: um, Perry, I don't think Perry gave his last words.
1: No, not yet. And I'm just going to mention. Uh, I mean, everybody has a website. I would urge everybody to. Uh, visit their websites. We've made, it, we've made it very easy. Their websites are linked into our show description. You can see right there uh, Jerry and Mary Ann Cars, their website, Mary.com, uh, Lois Durso, her website stopunderrides.org uh, Engineer Aaron Kiefer at trailerguards.com Engineer Perry Ponder angelwingskirts.com and who you just heard from, Andy Young, a CDL driver and attorney at tr- TruckCrashVictimHelp.com. And again, we've made it easy for you. All their uh, all their links are in uh, their sh- their their website links are embedded in our show there. And I would urge you to to visit uh, Mary Ann and Jerry and Lois's website. Tons and tons of research and information, and all the others, and watch those videos and see how these. Uh, Uh, side skirts work and uh, Perry with that we'll uh, let you uh, finalize the show here any thoughts final thoughts you want to get out there make sure uh, we get out there this evening
8: um you know real quick from an engineering perspective I consider solving the issue of underride or heavy truck underride one of the low-hanging fruits of vehicle safety Uh, for me the hard work has already been done by the auto manufacturers who have incorporated Crumple zones and airbags and all these other safety systems into the car, but all that goes out the window, of course, whenever you have an underride crash. As Andy talked about before, um, you know, an, an underwrite guard is a bar, or maybe a band, uh, you know, around the perimeter of the trailer to take advantage of the safety features that are already incorporated. Um, you know, the, the costs will come down precipitously as we move up uh, in terms of production. Um, I think in terms of some of the operational issues. Uh, in particular, the same side guard, uh, you can look no further than uh, than Europe. They've got side guards. They've had side guards required on the trailers since the 80s. Now they're not strong enough to prevent a car from going underneath, but in terms of interacting with any railroad tracks or uh, submerged docks, um, steep grades in, in in the roadway, uh, you know, that's not uh, presenting any major problems over there.
1: Okay. All right, Donna. Did you have any final comments here? Well,
5: I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to think of all the comments and that we've heard, and um, I, I think, I think once drivers hear the show, and then maybe they'll spur other ideas and questions, right. and then they can be a part of the follow-up show.
1: Okay. Sounds good. Hey, and again. I would encourage everyone to check all our guest websites, a lot of information, see the videos yourself and uh ongoing discussion and um i i, I really think this is a really important show and I was really happy to be here and I really appreciate everybody coming uh so much information uh you know we didn't get to any callers, which we did have quite a few callers on here, but just uh, I told Donna before the show well we probably won't probably won't get to any callers because there's a lot of information and questions and answers we wanted to get out there. But I do appreciate everybody joining in. Hope you enjoyed it. And, again, please check out their websites, our guest websites. And we'll leave you with a, a you know, I, I talked earlier about uh, our guest, Andy Young. He's a, you know, Class a CDL driver the owner of an old classic Peterbilt 359. So we're going to leave you with a special song for our guest, Andy Young. Not not quite the same, but you'll you'll get the gist of it, performed by a fellow trucker and Singer songwriter Tony Justice, and you can find all of his music at TonyJusticeMusic.com. And so here's Tony performing Peterbilt 379. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time on NASA Trucker
4: Live. You've been listening to Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith. On behalf of Alan and Donna Smith, AskTheTrucker.com, TruckingSocialMedia.com, NorthAmericanTruckingAlerts.com, Blog Talk Radio, and Ask the Trucker Live. I'm J. Michael Collins. Until next time, drive safe and thanks for listening.